everyone, welcome in or welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your one and only host, Monica. Thank you so much for returning. And hey, look, look who has finally decided to make a Monday podcast. Me. I'm sorry that I've been off lately on the Monday pods. I've been hitting it with the Wednesdays, but Mondays, I've been, I haven't been hitting my ones and twos, and I'm sorry about that. But I will be uploading a pod on Wednesday as well, and next Monday, and back on my normal schedule, I promise. Uh, I'm taking some time away from work, so it will help me focus on this pod, but I'm also getting overwhelmed with school, so you know I might fall off again. We'll see what happens. Anyways, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be recording this pod for you guys. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for listening. All five of you, I really appreciate you. Today, we are going to be talking about the movie The Devil All the Time. This is a psychological thriller. It premiered on Netflix. I think that it premiered this month. And, you know, I remember when it first was like, I remember when the trailer first came out. And obviously there are a lot of people who want to watch the movie because Tom Holland is in it. And, you know, Tom Holland is the MCU darling. He is beloved by many, you know, teenage white girls. So, of course, this movie was going to do well. And also Robert Pattinson is in this movie as well. And we all love our weirdo Robert Pattinson you know and when I first heard about the movie I was like okay this seems interesting this seems cool and of course I am super late to watching this and reviewing this because that's what this podcast is all about this podcast is about me Monica watching things after everyone else has watched them and when they're not cool or new anymore so my opinion on the film is kind of like not as relevant but I'm still gonna do it anyways because I do what I want you know I live my life I'm a stallion you know what I mean I'm not actually a stallion but you know I'm gonna say I am to you know have some confidence in myself so the devil all the time it is a film that has a very I think like shallow shallow take on faith and like religion Christianity in general and if you're listening to this pod obviously there are going to be spoilers for this movie so if you're listening to this I'm going to assume that you've watched the movie I'm going to go through the plot a little bit go through the characters some of the themes tell you what I think about the film I watched it just last night and I'd say I really did like the film I was really captivated by it and I was interested in it I feel like there were a lot of characters in the movie which made the plot seem kind of like a little uh, misconstrued a little bit like I was paying attention and I was interested and I thought I felt like some of the characters were just kind of there but like some point during the movie I was like oh okay we're all going to be connected in the end okay interesting and there was a point in time when I was watching the movie and I was just kind of thinking like where is Tom like where is he like I didn't watch the movie for him specifically but like he has to be around here somewhere you know what I mean and I didn't, I forgot that Bill Skarsgård, I think that's how you say his name, I forgot that he was in this film. And I was seeing him in the movie, and I was watching him, I was like, oh, wait, he's gonna die, isn't he? Wait, is he gonna die? I don't know. Because, like, okay, let's really just get into the film, right? Let's start off at the beginning. So it starts in um, World War II, kind of like a flashback. Willard Russell, who was played by Bill Skarsgård, he finds a soldier um, nailed to a cross in the middle of the Solomon Islands. And obviously he was put on that cross by the Japanese. That imagery is actually something that actually did happen. In World War II, there would be Japanese soldiers that would put uh, American soldiers on crosses. And that seems like very, very violent. But as 
you know because you've watched this movie um this movie is full of like really violent stuff like really bizarre takes and there's just like a lot of stuff that happens in this movie that's kind of like in my mind unnecessary but it, you know like this movie is like wild okay just to say the least so they find out that the guy still on the cross he's still alive so of course bill shoots the guy in the head to end his misery and by that experience he loses his faith in god so he goes back home to cold creek west virginia and this movie happens in like mead ohio cold cold creek west virginia and knock him stiff and i know that this movie is based off a book written by um i wrote down his name let me not try to remember it like i wrote down his name hold on donald ray pollock i believe that's the man's name he didn't write the screenplay but he actually does play the narrator which i didn't know until uh after i was like i didn't know until i finished watching the movie and did some research for the pod and i was looking that up i was like oh it's interesting it's interesting that he was the narrator and it seems really cool that he's the narrator of this film because a lot of times people adapt books into movies and sometimes like the author isn't all for the movie you know like i think worst case scenario is with the Watchmen comics you know the man who wrote the Watchmen comics his name is like Al something I forget it escapes me but like y'all know who he is you know he's a guy with he's a white man with a beard who's like got upset with DC for butchering his comments in that terrible movie which I can understand because I don't like Zack Snyder all that much either but I feel like Watchmen HBO was the perfect adaptation for the comics in the modern sense taking in modern accounts you know um yeah but it's awesome that the devil all the time the book is like like the it's awesome that the author of the book approves of the movie because he didn't write the screenplay but it's really cool that he's a narrator because it's like he's telling you his story he's telling you the story of his midwestern gothic horror the psychological thriller of what happened in these small towns in ohio so yes um willard he comes back and he meets charlotte a waitress and they get married they go to knock m stiff ohio and they have a child named arvin arvin is obviously like in the teenage years he's gonna be played by tom holland another thing is that knock m stiff is a real town and the author of the book was raised in that city in that town city's town whatever and so actually the the city wasn't even mentioned in the book at all but it's cool that they you know they put it into the movie as kind of like an ode to the author i think it's really neat i think it's really awesome so um let's see basically like after uh willard and charlotte get married they have arvin the child a lot of things happen in this movie and there are a lot of characters in this movie and i'm not really gonna go by the movie plot how the movie went i'm just gonna go by the character story because like they go back and forth with the characters they have flashbacks they have narration and i just want to say like it's totally fine if you have flashbacks in your film it's fine if you have narration in your film but oftentimes i don't need flashbacks and narration you know what i mean because there were some events in the film where I can understand or I can try and infer that something is going to happen to a certain character without some beautiful, deep, baritone voice telling me that you'll find Helen's body seven years later in the middle of the woods. Like, I can, I can kind of infer that something bad is going to happen because 
of the first scene of the film. You know, you're watching a movie and the first thing you see is a bloodied, almost dead man nailed to a cross. And if it's, it's not, if it's not the Passion of the Christ playing backwards, then this movie's just going to be screwed up. It's just going to be effed. Because that's, that scene is very violent. It's very gruesome. It's very gory. And it just sets the tone that this is not a happy movie. This is not a movie with a like a happy ending really this movie is just going to keep showing you beat for beat um scenes that match the same violent tendency as the first one so you know when certain scenes are happening in the film i can just kind of infer okay something bad's gonna happen because like charlotte she seems like a very nice lady she's very sweet like she gave a plate to a homeless man in one scene in the movie so obviously she's gonna die which happens because she gets cancer and you know Arvin and you know one weird thing is that Willard made a cross in the woods and him and his son go and pray back there to God which I think is kind of weird kind of strange but okay and so um when his wife is diagnosed with cancer him and Arvin go into the woods and pray a lot. Like they pray a lot, a lot. And you know, um, Willard realizes that he needs to, he will do anything to keep Charlotte alive. He will do anything. So he sacrifices his son's dog. Yeah, y'all <laughs> yeah, it was, when I saw that scene, I was really looking and I was like, okay, what, huh? Mind you, I did skip ahead of that scene because like when he said there are certain sacrifices a man has to make, I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be like Isaac and Jacob? I was like, no, wait, you can't kill him. He's Tom Holland. I was like, oh, the dog. That's really, that's really like, you you really got to be some kind of, you got to be really, you have to be some kind of not stable person to kill a dog. Doesn't matter because the wife dies anyways. Oh my gosh. When it's just like Bill Skarsgård and that little boy standing over like a coffin, that really breaks my heart. Like that really hurts me. That makes me really sad. And like he tries to like talk to his son and his son's obviously pissed because his mom is dead and his doc is dead and he's up with his dad. And the little boy, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, he tries to go give his dog a perfect burial because his dad nailed his dog to a tree and turns out that his dad took his own life. So now Arvin goes to live with um, Uncle Earskull and his aunt. And um, let me see. Wait a minute. Where's the? What's the aunt's name? Um. Wait. 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 Okay. His grandmother and uncle in Coal Creek. Oh, they don't say the grandma's name. Okay. So now he's being raised by um, his grandmother and his uncle in Coal Creek. And he meets his adopted stepsister, Lenora Russell. Now let's talk about Lenora for a second. All right. So like I said, this movie's very character heavy. There are a lot of points in the movie where it jumps back and forth, of course. So I'm just going by character, character, story by story. All right. So... At one point, Bill goes to church with his grandma and he meets this girl, Helen. And the grandma basically made a promise to God that he would make Helen, that he would have... The grandma made a promise that Willard, 
who's played with Bill Skarsgård, would marry Helen. And instead of that happening, Helen marries a very eccentric preacher by the name of Roy Lafferty. And Roy Lafferty, he's just like, he's very, um, what is it? Very bombastic. Yes, in this preaching. He has a brother and the brother, I know this man's name. Didn't I write this down? Why wouldn't I write this down? Theodore. Okay, so the brother Theodore, he, you know, he is kind of, I think um, he's paralyzed. He's in a wheelchair. He can't walk. I believe that the actual person who plays Theodore, his name is Pokey Lafarge, and he is like an actual singer. Like he's a folk singer and he's a musician. And it's really cool that he's in this movie because a lot of the music that he actually does make because I listen to it, it does fit into like the time period, not the time period, but like the essence of the town. A lot of the songs he sings in the movie, like kind of sings in the movie. And he also sings a song that they play at the end of the credits. And his music is very like upbeat and it has a very like cheerful tune but the lyrics are so sad that it fits into the tone of the film because you feel like you're watching a movie about a small town and some cute little characters that believe in god and family but you realize that everyone is kind of twisted and there's some real, real darkness to it and everyone has secrets you know it's really like sketch so we are talking about roy lafferty now roy lafferty he's He's just, he's like, he's basically just very eccentric and he's kind of charismatic. He's an evangelical preacher. Um, and he talked about, there's one sermon he gave where like he talks about how he overcame his fear of spiders and he dumps a bunch of spiders on his face and Helen just like falls in love with him. They get married. Um, they have a baby and I'm not going to lie in the beginning of this movie, a lot of the timing and the pacing felt a little rushed because it seemed like they're trying to get to the, like the Tom Holland part because like it really did feel like the editor of this film was like we know you're here for Tom Holland okay calm down we need to give you some exposition we need to give you some background narrative blah 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 okay here we go because by the time they get to Tom Holland's part in the film it's a lot more drawn out it's a lot like dragged out because all the action in the film that surrounds Tom Holland only happens over a few only happens over the course of a few days all the action before Tom Holland in the movie happens over the course of months, years even. So it just feels like they kind of pushed it. I feel like they knew that like young girls would want to watch this movie because Tom Holland is in it. And this movie is two hours long. So they're trying to put in as much exposition as possible so that we would stick around for Tom Holland. You know what I mean? That probably wasn't the idea the editor had, but that's how I felt watching the film. I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. But anyways, um, so let's see. Roy Lafferty and Helen, they get married. They have a little baby, Lenora. One day, Roy and Helen, they decide to go on a drive. And Helen leaves little Lenora with the grandmother and the uncle of Willard. The, of Willard, what's Willard's last name? Willard Russell, okay. So here's the thing, right? Roy is weird. Roy believes he speaks to God. And you know, you can talk to God and like pray and 
all those things. However, this man is having delusions of grandeur, all right? So he locks himself in a closet for two weeks trying to talk to God. And like, you don't have to do all that to talk to God. Like you really don't, but like he does it, you know, and he, his wife like would bring him plates of food and stuff like that. And at one point, hold on, the phone's ringing. Hold on one second. Okay, the phone stopped ringing. All right. So basically like he thinks that God spoke to him in some way and he drives, goes out for a drive with, it's him, Roy, it's Helen, and then it's Theodore. And they get to where they're going to go take a little walk, you know, um, and Theodore is just like in the back of the car sleeping, you know, and he stabs his wife in the neck. And I was really like, I was really, I was really sitting there looking at like, I know God did not tell you to do that. I, he stabs his wife in the neck and then he tries to resurrect her. He tries to resurrect her because that's just something you could do. Oh my gosh, I can't. Like resurrection, that's a feat. All right, let's, let's be, let's be real. It's a feat. Okay. So he realizes that he can't bring his wife back to the dead. So he buries her and he drives away with Theodore in the front seat and he's like, what if I go to the police and tell them it was an accident? And Theodore, who hasn't really said anything throughout this movie, sounds like the most sane person for like the first time. Like Theodore and like two other people are the only people in this movie with actual sense. Theodore straight up like, you stabbed your wife in the neck, you buried her and you drove away. What makes you think that they're going to believe you? You sound like a crazy person. You said that God told you to kill your wife and resurrect her. Do you really think they're going to listen to you? These are the ramblings of a madman. And he tells his brother, you know, just stay off the highway. Just keep driving and we'll be fine. We're running away. Next scene, um, Roy Lafferty leaves his brother behind in a car. And because his brother can't walk, I think we're supposed to assume that he died. But I'd like to think that Theodore was picked up by a very nice lady and, you know, she took his wheelchair and, like, helped him out and they became friends. You know, I'd like to think that. Theodore honestly deserved better. You don't just abandon your disabled brother. How rude. Anyways, Roy gets what's coming to him because he gets picked up by this very cute couple, right? And, um, this very sweet couple is Carol, not Carol, Carl, yeah, Carl and Sandy. And Carl and Sandy pick up Roy. They go have a picnic out by the lake. And then Carl's all like, hey, my, my wife's pretty cute, right? And Roy's like, yes, you have a beautiful wife. And then Carl's like, you know, any man would be lucky to have her, you know, show her a good time. And then Roy's looking at him real sus, like, what are you saying? What? And, you know, he's like, why don't you uh, sleep with my wife? And Roy's like, huh? And then Carl's like, you know, it's not, it's not a bad idea. You know what I mean? Roy is not down for it. He thinks it's weird because obviously it is weird. And then, um, the wife, Sandy, she's just like, oh, come on now. Take off your clothes and the gross old man will leave us alone. Roy doesn't comply. So Carl shoots him, kills him and they bury the body. So this has been a routine for Carl and Sandy where they will drive around on the interstate, pick up young men, have them sleep with Sandy, photograph them, and then kill these men and then bury their bodies. It's just something they like to do. It's just like a little hobby of theirs, right? 
So after, um, that's just like a little like side quest, I guess, whatever. We'll come back to them. All right. Arvin is growing up with his grandfather, grandmother, and uncle. And Lenora, you know, he and Lenora are the same age. Lenora's a very sweet girl. She gets bullied a lot, but she's really nice. And she prays almost every day. And, you know, Arvin does not pray because his parents. Well, mainly his dad. His mom didn't do anything wrong. Whew. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace to Charlotte. Ooh. Uh, Lenora is a sweet girl. She visits her mom's grave every single day after school. And um, Arvin takes her there. He protects her. He looks out for her. It's really sweet. The brother and sister dynamic and everything. And, like, my heart goes out to her. Like, Lenora... Girl, you're one of the only good people in this movie. So, uh, excuse me. Sorry about that. In comes Robert Pattinson. We have been waiting for this weird white boy to come in and here he is in all his glory. So Rob Pattinson, he plays this preacher. And he's this fancy preacher from a fancy Bible college. And he's going to be in charge of the cemetery and the church that they visit as a family. And so there's like this community potluck and like, the grandma, she makes these chicken livers because she can't afford a steak. All right. She's poor. There's nothing wrong with it. But he decides to be the grossest, the most insecure, the worst person when she brings him the plate of chicken livers. And he like pulls it. He's like, it's a whole potluck, right? The whole church is there. Everybody has their foods out on these tables. And he's like, you know, I have a sermon in my chest. And there's this nice person who brought me these chicken livers on this beat up, broke, dusty plate that brought me this broke food for me to eat. And you know what? God rewards those who bring whatever they can. And even though this person brought me literal trash, slopped it up in grease and sauce, and handed it to me, I'm going to do y'all the favor. I'm not making y'all eat it. I'm going to keep it for myself, which obviously means like he trashed it so hard. And he's like, yeah, but I'll eat it though. Like it's bad. It sucks. But like, I'll eat it though. So y'all don't have to. Cause like, it's so bad. Like I'll do it. Like I'll, I'll sacrifice myself for the best for y'all. Which means he liked it, but he didn't want to like be upfront and say that he likes chicken livers because he's trash. So Lenora keeps getting bullied by guys at school. So one day, this kid's name's Arvin, right? Did I say Arvin or Arwin? Arwin? Wait a minute. Why do I keep forgetting? Oh my gosh. Mind empty. <laughs> no thoughts found, okay? Arvin, okay. So the kid Arvin, right? Um, he one day he drops Lenora off at the cemetery, and he's like, "I have to do something. I gotta take some care of something. So I'm gonna leave you by yourself." And it's the first time he's ever left her alone. And oof. Lenora is kind of like upset, but she's told him before, like, "Oh, you don't have to like stay with me. It's fine. I know you'd rather be doing anything else." And you know, um, Arvin he drops her off. And he goes to find the guys who were hurting her and he breaks their faces. He really like gave them this beat down. He's like, you're going to catch these hands. Keep chasing my sister, you're going to get these hands. And they did. He wanted all the smoke and he took them down one by one. And I was cackling. And while Arvin is being in the bricks of these bullies, um, it starts raining over at the cemetery. Lenora goes into the church and the preacher man... Mr. Robert Pattinson says that he has a nice little place he likes to go to pray. 
and they're in his car and they're sitting there and he's talking about opening yourself up to God in your birthday suit. And that's the moment that I really had to laugh. Like, wow, that's disgusting. And the sad thing is, like, the worst thing about it is, like, they're, like, okay, in the church, because I am a Christian, there are obviously not good people in every church. And so I think that the situation that Lenora is in is something that a lot of girls deal with in church. You know, there are people who enter ministry with the with a God complex in of themselves where they feel like they were ordained, they were chosen, they are the one, they are meant to be a preacher. Like they have like everything about them, like like everything about them makes them better than the people in the congregation and they think that they're special. And a lot of times people who believe that they're special think that they can take what they want because it's what is intended to them by God. And by doing that, they, they, um, prey on young girls who are lonely and insecure and don't know how to say no to authority. But if a guy comes up to you and it's real nice and real sweet talking and he brings up God, you bring down your guard because you automatically think that they're a good person because they believe in God. But let me tell you now, everybody who goes to church is not good, is a good person, okay? We all know this. And, you know, I think this movie does a really good example of showing how, like, a lot of times people will hear that you believe in God or like a lot of times like with the with the hitchhiking couple right they will pick up these young men and the guy Carl he'll quote the bible and automatically these people's guards go down automatically these people are like opening up because it's a small town everybody there goes to church it's the most sociable thing you do right and if somebody picks you up on the side of the road to give you a ride like oh they're a good person they'd start talking about the bible oh they believe in god they believe in jesus they mean me no harm they're going to take care of me i'm in good hands and that's how they draw you in and that's how the preacher preyed on lenora because she is someone who is devout she is someone who spends time in prayer and she you know was manipulated by this man and it's not her fault you know like lenora is lonely you know, she's been bullied her whole life. Her only friend is her brother who would literally break someone's legs for her. But she doesn't have any gentleman callers. And this is a fancy preacher man who is close to God and is handsome. And she started to have a crush on him, you know. And this, they, they slept together. They had sex, right? And so then Lenora's pregnant, right? And then the preacher really tried to be like, oh, you're crazy. You're delusional. What we did was spend time with God. I did not sleep with you. That's that's not what happened. Which is such BS. Cause you, you what? What? He's literally lying to her. It's like, you're delusional. And even if you have this baby, I'm not gonna take care of a bastard child. Excuse me? Me? Take care of a child? That's not mine. We're not gonna get married. Do you know what's gonna, that's gonna do to my reputation? And then he starts bringing in her grandmother. And he talks about how the grandmother will like die from embarrassment. The, he says the grandmother will die from embarrassment if Lenora, Lenora carries the baby to term. 
and he says that she can't have the baby because everybody will talk about her and she'll be like the whore mother and you know everyone will say bad things about her and like you know do you really want to raise your child in a house of sin and he just shames her into like hating the child and it's such a sad thing one Sunday the family goes off to church and Lenora makes the decision to hang herself but as she is about to do it she stops for clarity and she realizes that she's going to be okay that she's going to be all right and she knows that you know everything's going to work out unfortunately she, the bucket falls anyways and she dies so the family finds her hanging in the in the barn which is heartbreaking and you know um I feel so bad for Arvin because this kid was just like, he just wants to lay down road pavement and he just want to like take care of his sister and just like live a normal life. And like, it's so sad. And it's very obvious that like Arvin carries around a lot of anger from what his father did and his father leaving him because in the beginning of the movie, um, when he was praying with his dad, there were these two men that were talking mess about Charlotte, the mom. And so Bill Skarsgård says, Bill Skarsgård? Why do I keep referring to him by his actor name? Willard. Willard Russell. Arvin's dad. I'm talking about, pre you know, in the beginning of the movie when he was still alive. You know, in the beginning of the movie, uh, there's a scene where he Willard is like, I'm going to the store. He's going to get sugar for his wife. He brings Arvin with him. And Arvin has been dealing with these bullies on the bus. So Willard sees the men that were talking mess about his wife. And he lets them have it. Like he really does beat the brakes off these men. He goes to town on their faces. And he holds nothing back. There is no mercy. And you know, he's like, you got to wait for the right time. Timing is everything. There are a lot of bad people in this world. You know what I mean? And Arvin learns how to deal with his problems the same way that his father deal with the problems. Because his father, you know, went to war to fight the country's problems. And, you know, you fight world problems with violence, with wars, with killing. You know, people in small towns, they fight problems through gossiping, through passive aggression, or with killing, with murdering, with hurting people. There's a lot of violence in this film and in this movie. And sometimes it feels over the top. But a lot of times, like... It does have the like that old town feel to it because I'm watching this film and I'm like people don't really act like that but then I'm like no yeah they do they do they do because there's a certain like there's a certain way that you're raised in a small town there's a certain mentality that goes around and the kind of no mercy behind all the violence in this film it feels far-fetched but at the same time it doesn't you know what I mean anyways but you know Tom learned anger. Tom learned how to deal with his anger the same way that his father dealt with it. But he's not exactly his dad, you know? And his daughter, you know, his stepsister basically hangs herself. They have a small funeral. He goes on about his life, smoking cigarettes, being sad, brooding with that frog in his mouth. I, okay, somebody let me know. Tom Holland does look like he has a frog in his mouth when he closes his mouth, right? And I know he doesn't like when people talk about that and like he feels insecure about it. And I love Tom Holland, I do. But like, I couldn't help but pause the movie every five seconds and just be like, oh my gosh, Ribbit. It's cute. Like, I'm not hating on him. It's cute. It's adorable, you know? Um, anyways, um, uh, a deputy, a cop, I don't know. They go to a road site where Tom 
Holland Arbind. I need to say that character's name, not the actor's name. Arbin is working there. The cop pulls him aside and he straight up is just like, you know, the the M.E., he's not a liar. He doesn't BS. And I'm telling you this because, you know, I, I just want to let you know, you know, uh, did you know that Lenora was pregnant? And his face. Ooh. Ugh. Listen, another reason why I was excited for this movie is because I know that Tom Holland's a good actor. I know that he is, okay? I, like, being in the MCU, like, I feel like sometimes people are either like, oh, this actor's so good and so talented, they have to be in a Marvel movie. Or, like, this actor's in a Marvel movie, I've only seen them in Marvel movies, but because I don't like Marvel movies, I don't like this actor, and I don't think they're a good actor. Like, people are either one of the two sides. And, like, for both arguments, the first one, not every actor needs to be in a Marvel movie. I do understand that being in one helps boost your career a lot and puts you on the map in a way and like you know being in a Marvel movie helps open up other opportunities for you to be in other movies and it puts your face out there and it puts you on like the short list of actors who are considered for big um blockbuster films so you'll make a lot more money and then maybe you'll be in like bigger films and people know your name and you deserve recognition for your acting I understand that but not every good actor needs to be in a Marvel movie you know I'm very happy that like, um, oh gosh, what's the, I'm so happy for Eternals. I'm really excited. And Shang Li. I'm excited for those films to come out. I'm really, I can't wait to see those movies. I know they're going to be amazing. And I'm really excited for everybody who is in those films because a lot of those people are smaller actors and they really do deserve like the hype that they're going to get when those movies do come out. And I'm really like glad that they're in those movies, but not every small actor needs to be in a Marvel film. It's a really cool goal to have. It's a really cool goal to have if you're a small actor, but that doesn't need to be the end game. You know, there's more to it. You know what I mean? And like when people say that like people in Marvel movies are not good actors because they're in Marvel movies. No, no. If you don't like Marvel movies, it's not the actor's fault. It's the writer's fault. It's the director's fault. Don't blame Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man being not, Iron Man 2 not being as good as Iron Man or Iron Man 3. Like, don't, don't bring it down on him. Like, don't be on Brie Larson because you didn't like Captain Marvel and, like, the message behind it. The writers, the directors, she's just the actor, my guy. Come on. But yeah, Tom Holland, in that scene when he finds out about his uh, stepsister being pregnant, I could feel it was palpable. It was pal. It was palpable. I just spit all over the place, but I don't care. It was palpable. His anger, and I was here for it. I'm here for it still. Listen, the movie is not like it's not in my top ten, but I like it. Like I like the movie, and there were certain like um there were certain scenes and certain moments with the actors that really did like hit me, and those are one of the that was one of the scenes. Another one of the scenes, um, obviously. Arvin, he says goodbye to his uncle. He tells his uncle to take care of grandma because she needs him. And he writes a letter to his grandmother saying goodbye because he goes down to the church where the pastor is and he sits in the back pew and he starts narrating the sins that he's done. You know, Arvin, he sits in the back of the pew and he has his hat down and he pretends to be just another patron. And He's talking about the lustful acts that he's done and the bad things that he's done. And the preacher is listening to him. But as you're listening, you realize that he's simply narrating what the preacher has been doing for the past two weeks. Because Arvin has been stalking him and watching him. And this is, this is his chance. And I also have to say, like, 
Tom Holland's accent throughout this movie is very good, but it's so funny. It's so funny how I found out that Robert Pattinson did not see a dialect coach for this film and he didn't let anybody hear his accent until the first day of shooting because it shows. Sir, what's going on? Bill Skarsgård has the best accent in this movie. And then Robert Pattinson has the worst. He has the worst accent. It really does come and go in that church scene. I don't know what homeboy thought he was doing. He was acting with a lot of emotion, but that emotion needs to carry through the accent that you have, my guy. I can hear your actual voice, okay? That's not that's not the character we're playing, okay? But basically, Arvin shoots the pastor and he runs away and he gets picked up by the hitchhiker couple. By the way, the hitchhiker couple, Sandy, she is the sister of one of the cops in Knockstiff, Ohio. And also that cop picked up um, Arvin when he was a child, when his dad died. Oh my gosh, we are all connected in here. And the cop is dirty. You don't need to know anything else. The cop is dirty and he kills his enemies to keep his secret so that the enemies won't expose his secrets and he can stay like hidden like his dirty secrets stay hidden and whatever and he knows that his sister is basically being pimped out by her husband and he doesn't do anything to protect her or like stop Carl or whatever and he just serves to like he everything the cop does is to benefit him and the cop is played by Sebastian Stan I think Sebastian's really good in this role apparently Chris Evans was supposed to play this role but I don't think he would have fit I don't think yeah Chris Evans wouldn't have fit in this role I think like maybe they wanted to put Chris Evans in the role because he's a big name too and to have like two MCU characters in an independent film that's going to be on Netflix is really going to bring a lot of popularity to the movie but having Sebastian Stan it's good enough because Sebastian was really good in this film and he's really great playing the cop and you don't need to know anything else about the cop character other than the fact that he's dirty and he doesn't care that his sister is being pimped out by her husband or whatever. I mean, he had to suspect that like something else was going on for her to like stay with him. And um, Sandy's husband, Carl, he's paranoid. He's a murderer. He doesn't trust her. She keeps like getting the urge. She keeps getting the courage up to walk away and run away. And she just doesn't. And like, I feel like at some point she just killed him in his sleep. But you know, girl, like... You don't want to be accused of murder. I get it, girl. You know, it is what it is. Basically, the couple picks up Tom and he is suspicious of them from the jump, which thank you so much. Because here's the thing, like, even though Bill, not Bill, Carl, all these names are the same. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Carl, the husband of the hitchhiker couple and Sandy, Carl talks about Jesus and church and blah, blah, blah. And they go off the road and they go off to like this deserted place, this deserted area off the road. And Arvin is so suspicious the whole time. He is, he looks mad confused. He looks freaked out. Like he's paranoid. Obviously he's already paranoid because already he's already killed somebody and he's on edge because he literally just killed someone. But now he's on edge because it seems like this couple is going to kill him. He's going to like take his life. And he was right to be on edge and not trust them. And... I don't understand how nobody else who was picked up, maybe there were other hitchhikers that were picked up by the couple that were a little sus and thought it was really strange that they were like driving off the side of the road to have a picnic with them. But like I said before, a lot of times when people bring up Jesus, 
Christianity, the Bible, they let their guard down and that they assume that you're a good person. Because if you read the Bible and you know God, then obviously you must be a good person who will, who wants to take care of somebody and won't just like force them to sleep with your wife and then kill them. You know, nobody of those perversions would be a Christian. And that's also like a big critique in the film. I think that the film could have done a better job maybe of talking about like people having blind faith in like blind faith in general. I feel like it was an interest. I think like the film is an interesting take on religion and blind faith. I'm sure the book is much deeper. Obviously the books usually are because when you adapt a book to like any form of media, you have to take out some uh, subtleties. You have to take out some characters. You gotta, you gotta shorten stuff down so you can keep it all in the work in the new medium that you're creating whether it be like a web series a tv show a movie when you adapt a book from something when you take a book and you turn it into something else obviously some things are going to go some things are going to change whether it's due to like the director's new vision the screenwriter's new vision or what the studio may want or what the distributor wants it things change you know and so I would have liked to have known if like any other hitchhikers were like suspicious of Carl and Sandy, but we don't get to know that. Uh, Tom kills Carl and he kills Sandy. I feel bad for Sandy because like she went along with it. Yeah. But at the same time, she's in a very abusive relationship and like obviously there's something up with her and how she was raised that would make her stay with this man and there are probably so many times where she wanted to leave and couldn't and I don't think that it is unlikely that um Carl was abusing her in any kind of way I don't think it's unlikely that I don't think it's unlikely unlikely it's not shown in the film but it's probably something that happened and you know um it's sad that Sandy died but she did and I also find it interesting how like Arvin has never shot a gun before in his life and every single time he shoots somebody he kills them like he just gets them he shoots Sandy right in her neck like that's crazy that's crazy to me and you know he runs away from the couple he goes he hitchhikes all, all the way up to not hitchhikes he gets he gets somebody to drop him off at like the little uh, convenience store that was at the bottom of the hill near his house and he sees the man who was with him the night his dad died and like it's just like this moment of like you know thank you for taking care of me in that moment and like oh that's sweet and he goes up to where his dog was crucified to bury the dog so he can let go of some of the anger that he's held on to all these years and the sheriff sees his dead sister he's sad but then he hears about the preacher who died in um where the preacher that died in cold creek i think it was yeah and he realizes that the gun that killed the preacher and the gun that killed his sister, the same gun, and he finds out who owns the gun. It's a specific kind of Luger, German Lugger, whatever kind of gun that was gifted to a young kid by the name of Arvin Russell. And Willard gave that gun to his dad, who's to his uncle, who gave it to Arvin on his like 18th birthday. So the oh my gosh why is my mind blanking i'm sorry guys i don't know why i'm like this so basically sheriff uh sebastian goes to see him and they have this really weird standoff in the woods and he dies right and tom stands over his body and watches him pass away 
and he hitches a he hitches a ride with a person in the trailer and i think that this person was supposed to be like this person located like low-key like low-key this guy looked like aaron tyler johnson and if you don't know who he is i think he's like i don't know if the character was quicksilver but he was like a quicksilver character in age of ultron avengers or age of ultron i don't remember exactly but like i love aaron taylor tyler i don't know why i say aaron tyler johnson when it's taylor johnson but it feels weird saying aaron tyler Johnson taylor i don't know i th i think that he was the driver i'm not sure he's not credited in the role i don't think it may have been him it was like a really like you only see the side of his face and you only see the side of his face for a few seconds and as the film ends um there is this speech by lyndon b johnson basically talking about american involvement in vietnam and america had been involved in vietnam for a few years this film is set in like 1965 i believe but when he made that speech it really talks about like american involvement in vietnam and how it's increasing and i was getting a bit more violent and also the vietnam war was the only war that america didn't really win because vietnam still fell to communism in the end so it's kind of like this parallel to Arvin because his father was at war and they won World War II, but he, his father still held on to the horrors of war and the violence that he saw and he faced and he carried that anger and he lost faith in God through it. And he tried to regain that faith in God with his uh, wife, Charlotte. But one thing that Willard, why do I keep saying, I keep mixing up these people's names, I'm so sorry. One thing that Willard realized when he came back from war and he lost his faith in God was that he had faith in his wife and his family and he loved his wife. And when his wife passed away, he realized that he would do anything to be with her. And if, and wherever she went, he wanted to be there with her, which is why he took her his own life so he could be with her because he didn't feel whole without her, which is very heartbreaking because he had a little old baby right there that you take care of, but you know yeah you know and arvin listening to the lyndon b johnson speech on the radio as they drive away from all the madness and the hurt and the pain and the violence of his life and trying to move towards a new new like a new life it really does like bring up the question is arvin going to win the battle of anger like is he going to win the battle the battle for his soul i guess is he going to win this battle of anger that he feels within him the same anger that his father felt and the same anger that a lot of men feel and it like manifests in different ways is he going to win the battle of anger and like overcome it or is it still going to be something that haunts him because he did end up burying the bones of his dog's body because obviously when the dog's body like decomposed and also like his childhood home was burned down by some kids a while ago but like you have to ask the question now is this a happy ending because at the end of the film he just falls asleep in the car as he drives away from his life that he used to know and i kind of thought that maybe like the driver of the the trailer the car i kind of thought that this person was gonna kill him but it ends the movie just ends with him falling asleep you know and it really does break my heart because like lenora deserved better the mom deserved better the grandmother deserved better basically every, most of the people in the movie are innocent except for the men and like the uncle didn't even do anything like he was just there 
homie barely like barely did nothing he didn't do nothing and theodore really did deserve better like he didn't deserve to be abandoned by his brother albeit his delusional brother but he didn't deserve to be abandoned by him and arvin was just a young kid who like he just he wow my heart goes out to this fictional character of this movie but yeah that's the devil of all time um i guess my final thoughts are that this was a good film to watch it's definitely not a film that you rewatch, but it's really good i like it a lot i think it's really interesting um i like the story i think that it was a cool look into like um blind faith in those kind of things but I do think that maybe this film would have been better as like a tv show a mini series if you will just like one season you don't have to carry on to another season maybe like a pathology series that would be interesting as well and I think that it would serve better as a tv series because there are a lot of moments and scenes in the film that were kind of rushed obviously and like there were little time jumps that we just like had to like you just gotta have like pay attention to the film sometimes i would have liked some more background on helen and what happened to her and her family you know i would have liked to have seen lenora growing up and you know find out how she found out about her mom passing away um there are a lot of things i would have liked for to be looked into a little bit more like I would have liked to have seen a little more of Charlotte and you know there are a lot of things in the film that could have been expanded on and it just wasn't and I kind of regret saying that like they've rushed through the film to get to the Tom Holland part but that's kind of how it felt when I was watching it because I feel like the exposition was like the pacing of the film is kind of slow but it's fine like it's okay like I was fine with it you know it's a long movie like it's okay if things are a little drawn out and such but it did kind of feel like they were just like giving us background just so that we could understand what's going on so that they could skip to the Tom Holland part because the beginning of the movie that really sets it up that sets up the action of the film with all this exposition and explaining all these other background characters it's not long enough for me to really understand it and Tom Holland's part in the film where it's more in like 1965 everything that happens in 1965 only happens over a course of like maybe two weeks I think that's how it feels or maybe like over a month but it's the longer part of the film and it doesn't feel like that stuff needs to be that drawn out when the beginning of the film is set in like 1957 and you know you move through like months and months of time of narration and exposition just to like quickly get to like the middle bit you know what I mean I feel like there could have been a little bit more expanded on it um I like the narration I think the narration was good there were scenes in the movie where you don't need narration and the back in the flashbacks I feel like there were some things that were ex that could be there were some things in the movie that could just be explained by the actors and like facial expressions and context clues and just like assumptions by the audience you know the narrator was essential in some parts it was very interesting to have the actual like author it's really interesting that the actual author was the narrator of this movie i think it's really cool alan moore that's the writer of the watchman comics i'm so sorry i just remembered wow i'm so stupid <laughs> so sorry about that 
But yeah, it was all in all, like, I liked the movie. It was a good film. Am I going to watch it again? No. Should you watch it? Sure, definitely. Go watch it. Check it out. It's a pretty good movie for, like, movie night, if you're interested in that. Um, you know, the hypocrisy, corruption, and violence all run rampant in this story. And all in all, I think it's a really strong story. Um, a lot of the scenes where there is violence is in a word unforgiving um kind of over the top and some like some of the scenes in the movie are a bit bizarre you know like the whole hitchhiking couple that was really weird like that was really really weird and i don't know how that guy roped sandy into doing that and i don't know how long they did it and i don't know like how like they met in 1957 and then 1965 her brother has an election coming up to be sheriff again, I guess. So obviously people know that she's out here killing men. And I think that she thinks that if she just keeps doing it in the city or in the, um, in her brother's jurisdiction, that she won't really be met with any, like, um, she won't be met with any repercussions for her actions. And also like, at some point, the hitchhikers have to catch on to the fact that there are people, there are men hitchhiking in these towns going missing, you know? Like, these men just keep going missing. Unless she, like, calls authorities every single time someone dies and it's like, I'd like to report a body, blah, 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 whatever. Like, at some point, the police have to track the phone back to the motel where they're staying and be like, hey, you're sleeping with these men. Are you killing them too? Like, what's going on? You know, like, at some point, like, someone has to catch on. But also, like, the sheriff, who's played by Sebastian Stan, he's in the pocket of, like, some mafia boss or whatever. I don't know who he is. His role isn't explained. He's just there, and he's scary, and he's rich, and he's a criminal. And, like, he threatens to kill him. Blah, 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 whatever. He wants Sebastian to look the other way at his criminal activities. And he's a dirty cop. See, this is where a miniseries would come in handy. So that somebody could explain to me who that character was. Because I don't know what his purpose was. But, like, Sebastian Stan kills him and his right-hand man anyways. And I think steals his money. So, like, what's the point of introducing him? Like, what? Like, y'all could just show in a scene of Sebastian killing this man and have the narrator explain who this guy is. And that would have been fine for me. But whatever all in all it's a pretty good film it's a pretty good film you guys should definitely watch it check it out it has a really interesting take on christianity and i like the film for what it was you know so that's basically it um i'm gonna have a pod up on wednesday don't know what it's about yet but we'll see I hope you guys have a great day. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you like this pod, you know, share with your friends. Let them know. And if you have any suggestions for me for any movies or TV shows that you would like me to review, please leave, please send all uh, suggestions at D-U-L-C-I-O-M at hotmail.com. And I will see you guys on Wednesday with another pod. Thank you so much for listening. Stay blessed.